Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. You're in the right spot today. So we're wrapping up a series called From Messes to Successes. We're looking at three different characters from the Bible, from God's Word. Two of them are real people. One of them is just a story, but that's okay. And so uh, if you haven't been here yet, I encourage you to go back, listen to the first two weeks. Uh, Maybe that's the kind of mess you are. So they're all three different kinds of messes. And in week one, we looked at the kind of mess, and I said maybe the worst of the three kinds of messes, but it was somebody whose life was a complete mess, but he didn't even know it. And how bad is that? Because, like, what are you going to do to fix it if you don't even know you're in a mess, you know? And so first week was about being um, so messed up but not even knowing it. And then last week we talked about a guy who had messed up things so royally. He was just sitting in the gutter, sitting uh, in the pig pen, eating pig slop. And his life was so messed up that he almost couldn't see a way out of it. Couldn't see a way out of it. And so I said, maybe that's you and you've messed up your life so much and you think there's just no way out. It's always going to be this way. And that was last week. And this week we're going to look at a guy who just kept blowing chance after chance after chance. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel like opportunity keeps presenting itself, but you keep blowing the chance. You keep messing it up. Every time it shows up, you seem to do the exact wrong thing. And you think to yourself, man, will I ever have another opportunity only to have another opportunity come? And then you mess that one up too. And so if that's you, today is your kind of story. We're going to be talking um, quite a bit today about the Apostle Peter. We're going to be in a couple different passages because this story we're going to look at today is actually recorded by four different authors in the New Testament. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them talk about this story. And so you get kind of four different flavors or four different perspectives on this story. So I'm going to bounce around between a couple of those. But if you want to follow along, you can try your best to keep up. We'll be in Luke chapter 22 quite a bit and Matthew chapter 26. All the verses will be on the screen for you. But if you want to follow along in your own Bible or on a Bible app, you can do that. Uh, on your own in those chapters for the most part as well. And so uh, let me kind of set the scene for you a little bit. If you've been in church or you grew up in church or uh, you got some church background to you, you might know some pieces of this story already. And if not, that's okay. I'll kind of walk us through it as we go. But um, Jesus is now just like a day away from death, okay? And he's in what we call the upper room. He's in the upstairs room of this house. And he's having his last meal before he dies. And he's surrounded by his closest friends and followers. And a lot of things take place in that upper room at that last supper. Um, he serves them. He washes their feet. He, uh, they have communion together. They eat a meal together. He talks with them and teaches them a lot of things. He exposes the one who um, would betray him, Judas. Um, all this stuff takes place. He has some individual conversations with John, the Apostle John, who's just a young, probably teenager at this point. And then he has this conversation with Peter. And I want to kind of zone in on that conversation he has. So imagine they're sitting around this table. The meal has just finished. They're all just kind of relaxing. And and Jesus has already exposed Judas, the betrayer, and he's left. He's not with them anymore. It's just Jesus and his closest followers, closest friends. And he kind of leans into Peter. And just between the two of them, this is what he says to him in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, that's like 
Peter's first name, right? Simon, Peter. It's like you have two names today. So sometimes Simon is called Simon. Sometimes he's called Peter. Sometimes he's called Simon Peter. Sometimes he's called Peter or Simon, the son of John. That's his dad's name, but they're all the same guy, right? He says, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, what he's saying there is like, Satan has asked if permission to take you and put you through the grinder, to put you in the strainer, to put you in the colander, to to separate you out from all the good stuff, to get you off by yourself so he can attack you and destroy you and discourage you. He's asked permission from God. That should be encouraging if you're here and you're a Christian, that Satan doesn't get to wreck your life without God say so. He doesn't get to like throw all kinds of chaos into the, into the mix without God giving him permission. Now, why would God do that? We'll come back to that in a second. But he's saying Satan has asked for permission to take you and separate you from the rest of the wheat, to separate you from the good stuff. To sep- he's asking the same question today. Give me permission to separate that one from community to separate that one from your presence, to separate that one from your word, to separate that one from all the good, healthy influences in your life and and get them off by themselves so they get discouraged. And he wants permission for that. And listen to what Jesus says to Peter, he does, in response to what Satan has asked permission to do in verse 32. He says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. And that's still what Jesus is doing today. The Bible says that Jesus is right beside God today, interceding or praying for you. God, protect that one. God, help that one. God, deliver that one. God, heal that one. Come on, God, give me that one as mine. He's doing that same thing. He says, I've prayed, I've pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith would not fail you, that your faith would not fail. Now listen how he ends. This is an important phrase here at the end of the verse. He says, so when you have turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Okay, now stay with me. I want to give you four phrases from these passages we're going to look at today. And if you're an underliner or a note taker, I want to just ask you to underline them. And that's the first one. When you have turned to me again. When you have turned to me again. Just underline that. Or if you're a note taker, jot that one down. (coughs) What's he trying to say here? All right, so if you don't know the whole story, let me, in, let, me, let me allow you to be in behind the curtain for a second. Peter is about to screw things up. He's about to have a chance, an opportunity to do the right thing, and he's going to do the wrong thing. He's going to blow a chance. And Jesus knows he's going to do it. Now, he doesn't know he's going to do it because he doesn't know the future. But Jesus knows the mess up, the mistake, the error, the sin, the blown opportunity is coming. And so he's talking about it as if it already happened. And he's like, hey, when the time comes after you've messed up, Peter, and you turn back to me, and you turn back to me, and you turn back to me. That's like code for repentance. You change your mind. When you've changed your mind, when you've repented, when you've turned back to me again, he says, I want you to strengthen all your brothers. That doesn't make any sense to me unless you've been here for the first two weeks of this series. There's some overlap between these three ideas. See, Jesus knew Peter would fail. He knew he would blow the chance. But after he was done, what he told him to do was get to work strengthening all the people around him. Get back to work serving me by serving others. Now let me refresh your memory. I said these same things in the first two weeks. But let me tell you what Jesus did 
didn't tell Peter to do after he blew a chance and turned back to him. Here's what he didn't tell him to do. You ready? He didn't tell him to make amends. He didn't tell him to pay restitution. He didn't tell him he had to earn his way back into God's good graces. He didn't tell him that, hey, hey, Peter, just give it some time after you blow this chance, and eventually I'll trust you again. He didn't do that. He just said, when you turn back to me, get busy working. When you're ready to turn back, Peter, when you blow the chance and then you repent and come back to me, strengthen your brothers. Do something with your giftedness to help them, to help others, to serve people. Serve me by serving others. This is what I want to do today. I want to give you four phrases just like that. And then for each phrase, I want to just simply ask you one question. So on this one, do you get it yet? Do you see what we're doing in three weeks? Jesus knew what was coming. He wasn't surprised by Peter's mess up, by his mistake, by his blown opportunity, by his failure. He wasn't holding a grudge against Peter. And the same thing is true for you. Jesus isn't holding a grudge against you. He isn't on the lookout for a way to wreck your life or punish you for what you've done wrong. That's not what he's looking for. In fact, quite the opposite. He is on the lookout. He is on the hunt. He is standing by waiting for you to turn back to him. And what he wants to do in that moment is set you free from all the shame, from all the guilt, from all the thoughts of like, I screwed up again. I blew another opportunity. I messed up another chance. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he's looking for. That's what he was looking out for for Peter. That's what he's waiting for for you. Hey, when you turn back to me, you don't have to pay any fees. You don't have to wait on a shelf somewhere. You don't have to earn your way back into my favor. When you turn back from me, let's just get busy working again. Let's just do something valuable. Let's just make a difference in the world again. You can do it, Peter. Let's, let's do it together. Don't be ashamed. Don't sit it out. You don't have to have a, some kind of spiritual timeout where you pay penance to the rest of us because you blew a chance. It's nowhere in the Bible. That's just made up because we feel so ashamed of ourselves. And so when you've turned to me again, he says, let's get back to work. Let's serve me by serving others. And so here's my first question for you. I just want to ask you these four questions. Here's the first one. Will you let shame keep you on the sidelines? Will you let shame keep you on the sidelines? Or will you come back to Jesus and start working for him again? That's the question. Will you let shame keep you on the sidelines? All right, so they're at this dinner, right? It's over. Jesus has this kind of heart-to-heart -heart with Peter where he just real quick, he says to him, hey, I know you're going to screw up. When you come back to me, get busy working for me, serving your brothers, leading the way, okay? And then they leave that dinner, that house, and they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's called. And when they get to that garden, Jesus is going to pray. He knows he's about to die, and he's going to ask his closest followers, Peter included, to pray for him. Of course, they don't do such a good job at that. They keep falling asleep instead of praying for him. And before we condemn them too much, I don't know that there's a person in the room that probably hasn't tried to pray and dozed off. And so that's what they do, right? They're in this garden. They start praying, and then they fall asleep. And Jesus is off kind of praying by himself, and he prays this beautiful prayer. I can't remember where it's at. John chapter, I don't know, something, 18, 17, something like that. Jesus is praying this beautiful prayer, and he prays for us. 
He prays for all of his apostles and his disciples. And then he says, God, I want to also pray for all of those who will ever believe on me down through history. And what he prays for us is that God would protect us from the devil that God will protect us from all the attacks of the evil one. So that's what's going on. And on their way to the garden, as they're walking to the garden where Jesus is going to have this prayer time before his execution, he talks with all of them again, and then he zeroes in on Peter. I want to show you that conversation that Jesus has with him. It starts in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Here's what it says. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. All of you. For the scriptures say, a quote from Zechariah in the Old Testament, the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter, will be scattered. And that's exactly what would happen when Jesus gets arrested. You'll see it in just a second. They would all all abandon him. They would all scatter. And then he says in verse 32, but after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now listen to what Peter's going to speak up because he doesn't lack courage. I'm a lot like Peter, like he, he never lacks courage, but he always sticks his foot in his mouth. I feel like that's me, like my whole life. I never lack courage, but man, do I say some stuff that gets me in trouble, okay? Sometimes even on Sunday morning, then I get home, I have to hear about it from Stephanie, right? Like I said some stuff I shouldn't have said. And so uh, last week was one of those weeks. I heard about like three things I said last week that I shouldn't have said. So, <laughs> so okay, D- if you're only listening for the bad stuff, don't go back and listen to the podcast. Just go back for the truth and grace of Jesus. And so Peter speaks up with courage. This is what he says in verse 33. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. That's solid. It's exactly what I would want to say. I'd probably mess up the same way he's about to mess up, but it's exactly what I would want to say. It's exactly what everybody would want to say in that moment. Be like, not me, Lord. I got your back. I'm with you to the end. I'm willing to die for you. Jesus says back to him, verse 34, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter, no way, I'm not going to let this happen, Lord. So verse 35, is like, no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. So you see what's going on here. Peter's like, I got your back. Jesus, no matter what happens, I'm with you. It takes some courage just to say that, okay? And so Peter declares that, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny three times you even know who I am. That's how bad it's going to be, Peter. It's not like you're not just going to step up to the plate and serve, or you're not just going to step up to the plate and preach the gospel. You're going to literally tell people you don't even know who I am. That you're so ashamed of me. You're so afraid to even be known as one of mine that you'll just deny even knowing me. That's what's going on. So then these soldiers come to the garden with Judas to arrest Jesus. And, And sure enough, there's a lot to that story, but they end up arresting Jesus. And during that process, when those soldiers show up, it's, I want you to catch this. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to catch this. While those soldiers show up to arrest Jesus, Peter, with all the courage you can muster, pulls his sword and attacks one of the guys. He slices the dude's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away. Picks up the guy's ear, puts it back on, heals him. 
Now, that's important. I want you to hang on to that for just a second. So they arrest Jesus. They take him off, and all the disciples scatter at that point. Except for two, they're left. At this point, there's still two left. Peter and John. Now, I want you, I want you to hear what Peter does as they take Jesus into the um, palace where they're going to put him on trial, into Herod's court, right? And so they, in Luke chapter, where am I at here? Luke chapter 22, in verse 54, this is what happens. So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. Now look at this last line. Here's the second line I want you to underline. But Peter followed at a distance. Peter followed at a distance. It's amazing how many opportunities you miss and how many chances you'll blow when you're following Jesus at a distance. It's amazing. Life tends to get littered quickly with blown chances when you try to live with one eye on the Jesus way and one eye on the world way. And that's what's going on here. Peter's following at a distance and I want you to see the trouble he gets into. Now, I'm going to tell you the trouble he gets into is because he's following Jesus at a distance. I'm going to see if I can prove that to you from God's word, okay? But here he's following Jesus at a distance, and I want you to see the trouble he gets into. While Jesus is inside on trial, he's going to be outside. Peter, he's going to be outside in the courtyard. It's kind of cold. They start a fire. He's standing around the fire with a bunch of other people, and this is what happens in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. Listen to what he said. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't even make sense. We're probably only like an hour or two at the most removed from him being willing to draw down his sword and go to the death. And here some servant girl says, You're with Jesus. And he's like, I don't even know who he is. Do you see the problem here? The problem wasn't courage. The problem was closeness. The problem was connection. It's not courage. Make no mistake about it. Peter had more courage than any of us. I don't know how many of us would have even said what Peter said. Not me, Lord. I will die with you before I deny knowing you. And then to go one step further, when all these Roman soldiers come up and you're faced with a garrison of Roman soldiers who are arresting Jesus, and you draw your one sword and go to battle, he was ready to die, no doubt about it. He was ready to follow through on his promise to Jesus. The problem here wasn't courage. The problem was that after they arrested Jesus, he fell back. And he was like, I'll just follow from back here. And whatever thought he had that made him do that, whatever fear that flew through his mind that convinced him to fall back and follow Jesus from a distance just grew and grew and grew as he trailed him to the high priest's house. And now he's sitting in this courtyard and all of a sudden courageous Peter has been consumed with some kind of fear or some kind of anxiousness or some kind of concern and it's welling up inside of him and this little tiny servant girl is like, you were with that Jesus guy, weren't you? He's like, no, no, not me, not me. Where's the guy from an hour earlier who was ready to fight to the death for Jesus? He got scared. What scared him? The only thing that changed was his distance to Jesus. That's it. What Peter lacked wasn't courage, it was closeness. And I want to just read you guys like two sentences I wrote down 
in my notes because I don't want you to think I'm looking at you or talking to you specifically. Just some thoughts that came to my mind. Because we are all the exact same way. The problem we have is not lack of courage. It's lack of closeness. How do I know that? Think about it for a second. Whether it's screaming at a ref, ranting on social media, bragging about your kids, closing a sale, or asking someone on your knee to marry you. We have all kinds of courage for all kinds of things. What we lack isn't courage. Is it possible, is it possible, without looking at you, because I don't want you to think I'm talking about any of you, just us in general, is it possible that you're closer to your children or your cause than your Christ? Is it possible that you have been following Jesus from a distance with one foot in heaven and one foot in the world? Is it possible? And here's the second question I want to ask you. Actually, I got, I got a couple more verses, right, Kenny? Okay. So let me read you the rest of that paragraph. Verse 71, I think it is, right? Verse 71. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. He swears on it. He's like, I swear, I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Then he began to curse and swear. I don't know the man. I don't bleep and know the man. That's what he said there the third time, right? Every time he gets a little bit more heated, a little bit more angry. You, you were with Jesus, right? I don't know the man. Weren't you one of his? I swear I don't know the man. Hey, yeah, you must have been with him. You sound like you got the exact same accent as him. I'm telling you, I don't bleep and know who he is. It's crazy. It's crazy to somebody with so much courage and so much passion for Jesus could all of a sudden just turn their back on him. And yet we see it happen all the time just by making one little choice after another to back up from Christ, to walk and follow him at a distance, to take the week off to take this day off, but you don't know how angry they made me and you don't know how little money I have and you don't know how pressed for time I am today. We have all these reasons to fall back and put one of our feet in the world and one of our feet into Jesus' way and think we can just walk the fence like that. And we can't. And sin will always do more than you expect it to do. It will always wreck your life. You can't play both sides of the fence. So I want to ask you this second question. You ready? Have you been following Jesus at a distance? Have you been following Jesus at a distance? Where it's like, yeah, he's this thing I watch on Sunday mornings. But then I do what I want from Monday to Saturday. He gets some of me, but the parts I really like about me, you don't understand how important my job is or how committed to my family I am. You don't understand how much I love that hobby. I get it. Just asking if you're following from a distance. Okay, you got it? Here's the third. Let me kind of go on here. Here's the third phrase, right? And so as soon as Peter's done, I want you to see what happens. He denies knowing Jesus three times. And here's what happens. Look back at verse 74. He began to curse and swear. I don't know. I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Underline that phrase. Immediately a rooster crowed. 
I know there's probably no pastor in the country to ask his people to underline immediately a rooster, rooster crowed. And I've probably read through that a thousand times in my life and just read past it. But this week, every time I got to this verse, and the next verse after, verse 75, look at it. Suddenly, Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. And this week, every time I read through those two verses, this thought just kept coming to my head. I wonder what Peter thought every time he heard a rooster crow the rest of his life. Because people didn't start, stop like chicken farming that day in Israel. Like when Jesus died on the cross, all the roosters didn't retire. There were roosters throughout Israel for the rest of Peter's life. And I wonder what he thought every time he heard one crow the rest of his life. Did he hear this same thought? You're going to deny me. You're going to fail. You're going to blow another chance. Is that what he heard? I wonder. Is that what I hear? Is that what I hear? Every time I drive by that thing that I blew, that thing that I messed up, that thing that I failed at, how am I going to live one more day if I have to drive by that scene of that accident again? How am I going to make it if I have to spend one more day in this office? How am I going to survive if I have to see that X again? How am I going to live in a world where I'm constantly driving past liquor stores and it's full of dealers and all the things I've messed up in my past and I have to keep seeing them every day. How am I going to live that way? Every time I hear the rooster crow again to remind me what a screw-up I am. How am I going to make it? But here's the thing. I know how the story ends. I've already fast-forwarded, and I know what Jesus does in and through Peter for the next days and weeks and months and years. I know that he's going to do great things with him. He had to kind of come to this moment and, 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 and renew Peter's hope, give him back something on the inside that, that was lacking, this, I'm a failure, I'm a screw-up, I've blown too many chances. He had to change Peter's perspective. So he'd start to hear something different when the rooster crows. So what do you think? Did he do it? What, what do you hear when the rooster crows in your life? Do you hear, look at how much I failed? Or do you hear, look at how much he's forgiven? Because Peter's going to make this change. For the rest of his life, he's going to talk about how much Jesus forgave him for. And so now I invite the sound I'm not bothered when I drive past that location anymore. When I see those people out there who know my past. I'm not worried when I hear the rooster crow anymore because now the rooster's crow doesn't remind me of my lack of goodness. The rooster's crow now reminds me of the abundance of God's grace. And it becomes this, this kind of sound that triggers inside of me, I'm forgiven. I, I, I'm a success. I'm not a mess. I'm, I'm loved and I'm restored and, and he's given me so much grace. Do you get it? The rooster still crows. It just no longer reminds me how messed up I am. Now it reminds me of how much God loves me and has forgiven me. That's what happened for Peter. Now I invite the sound. 
I invite the rooster crowing because it is a constant reminder of God's goodness in my life. Do you get it? So here's my third question for you today. Will you change what you hear when the rooster crows? Will you start to change what you hear when the rooster crows? Because you're going to hear it today. The person throwing the old baggage in your face, driving by the location that makes you remember how you screwed up in the past, seeing something that triggers a temptation inside of you. We all have those. But you can redeem those. And they can, instead of being a temptation, instead of being a reminder of failure, they can be a reminder of forgiveness. And you can be free. All right. So to do this, Jesus is going to show up and have a conversation with Peter. And I want you to flash forward. Flash forward. Jesus has been executed. He's risen from the dead three days later. For us, by the way. He's risen from the dead three days later. And then he's going to start appearing to some people. Now he appears to some ladies first. And then he does appear to all of his followers except Thomas, his closest disciples. So the 11 who are left besides Judas. Now Thomas isn't there, so there's 10 of them in this room. And Jesus shows up to him. And Peter's there. But he doesn't really talk to Peter. He's really there for all of them at that point. Then he shows up a second time. And Peter's there that time too, but now Thomas is there. And that second encounter with Jesus after the resurrection is really about Thomas overcoming his doubt and his skepticism, having not seen Jesus yet rise from the dead. And so then you go forward a couple more days and Jesus is going to show up to his disciples for the third time. And this time Peter's there also, but this time it's going to be about Peter. He shows up in the northern, northern part of Israel beside the Sea of Galilee. And Peter and six other apostles are there and they've been fishing all night. They haven't caught any fish and they see this character on the shore. It's Jesus. They don't know it yet because they can't make out his features. They can just see a guy over there on the shore. And so they, uh, he kind of calls out to them, asks them how it's going. Gives them some instructions, does a miracle where they catch all these fish. John recognizes that it's Jesus and he cries out, it's the Lord. And Peter's in the boat and he realizes it's Jesus because John just screamed it out. And he dives in the water, swims back to shore. It's just him and Jesus on the shore. The other six apostles, they row the boat into shore and they get out and Jesus has got breakfast waiting for him. And they sit down around a fire and they eat some fish. And when breakfast is over, Jesus leans into Peter and he's going to have a one-on-one -on -one with them. Peter, who just a few days earlier denied even knowing who he was. Peter, who's probably ashamed of what he's done and who he's been. Peter, who probably feels like he's failed to honor the promise he made to Jesus, like he's the worst of the worst and he's blown chance after chance after chance and just keeps sticking his foot in his mouth. Jesus is going to lean into him and have a conversation with him. Here's the first verse of that conversation. It's in John chapter 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's the fourth phrase once you underline. Ready? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Or write it down. Do you love me more than these? Peter's response, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And then here's what Jesus says. Then feed my lambs. Now I'm not going to read you the whole conversation, but Jesus asks him that question three times. Three times. He keeps repeating it. 
And the first time is a little different. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Then he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he says it again, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And all three times he tells him, then take care of my sheep. Then strengthen your brothers. Then get back to work. Then let's do something that matters for eternity. Not pay me back. Not sit on the sidelines for a while. Not hang your head in shame. Get back in the game. And let's fight to the end together. But this time, stay close to me. Just stay close and we'll be good. Now, I don't know. There's one piece of this passage. I spent more time on this this week than any other passage. I couldn't figure out what it means. Okay? So I'm just going to give you the only two possible choices I could come up with. Jesus says, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter, do you love me? Simon Peter, do you love me? Why is the first one different? What is he talking about? What is these? I can't prove it from the Bible. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? And I can only think of two possible things. Either he means, do you love me more than these others love me? Right? Or do you love me more than you love these others? I can't tell which one it is. And maybe it's both. I don't really know. What is Jesus really asking Peter here? Is he trying to get him to feel bad about his seeming lack of love and loyalty? I doubt it. That's not the Jesus way. Sit there and feel bad about all the things you've done? Probably not. Does he want Peter to start comparing himself with everyone else? Seems kind of unlikely to me. But it's got to be one of these two things, or maybe both. But maybe for the first time in my life, it hit me to, like this week that maybe he's saying the second one. Do you love me more than you love these? Do you love me more than these? More than these? More than these? What is the these? Is it the other people? Do you love me more than you love what other people think of you? Think about what Peter just did. Think about how he just blew it. He's in this crowd of people. Ironically, the third crowd that comes up to him and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus because you have the same kind of accent? The guy that speaks up and asks him that question was related to the guy whose ear he cut off like an hour or two earlier in the garden. I could just, if I was that guy, I'd be like, dude, I know you're with him. You cut my cousin's ear off, you know? And he just keeps denying it. And so here he is, probably just super ashamed because he thinks back to just a few days earlier when he was terrified of what other people would think if they knew who he really was. If they, he was terrified if other people found out he was really following Jesus. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying to him like, Peter, do you now love me more than you love the opinions of all these others? Do you now love me more than the fear you're going to feel when people accuse you of being one of mine? Do you now love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you. And it says the third time that Jesus asked him that Peter got sad, that he felt grieved inside because Jesus kept asking him the same question, wouldn't you? I already answered this twice. Are you saying you don't believe me, Lord? Are you saying you don't believe what I'm saying? Do you love me, Peter? 
Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And it's almost like in that moment, what Jesus had to restore was Peter's confidence. His courage had fallen. And Jesus is like, hey, don't lose all the courage you had. That wasn't the problem back then. Three days ago, four days ago, five days ago, that wasn't the problem. You had the right courage. You just didn't have the right closeness. And it's like, Peter, I heard you back then. You'll never abandon me. You'll never deny me. You'll never leave me. You'll fight to the death for me. I saw you with the sword. I saw you with great courage. I know you have it in you. I know you're willing to die for me. And Peter's like, yes, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. I really am this time. I really do love you. That's okay, Peter. That part's coming. You are going to die for me someday. But will you live for me? And I look around at a lot of Christians today, and I think if the government busted down our doors and the FBI put a gun to your head and said, do you love Jesus? You'd take the bullet and die for him. I do think that. I think there are a lot of Christians ready to die for Jesus, but for whatever reason, just won't live for him. And so that's my fourth question for you today. Are you ready to live for Jesus? Are you ready to live for him? Take a look at how Jesus ends this conversation with Peter in verse 19. He says, and follow me. Comes back to the exact same thing he told him before Peter messed up. Because to Jesus, there's no different. Before, during, or after, he already knew the mess up was coming. And so he's like, get back to work. Strengthen the brothers. Turn back to me. And when you turn back to me, get busy living for me. We got stuff to do. We got people to reach. We got goals to set and a mission to accomplish. And I just want to leave you today with the same message that I think Jesus was trying to communicate to Peter. It took him a whole week to get to it. From beginning, during, and after. Peter's denial, Peter's mess up, Peter's blown chance. It was like Jesus was trying to say to him, failure doesn't have to be final. And so if you're here today and you feel like, I've messed up my life and I didn't even know it before. Or I've messed up my life so bad I don't see any way out. Or I've blown so many chances one after another, I don't even know if I'll get another chance. Your other chance is right now. Because if you're not dead, he's not done. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. When you turn back to me, let's get busy fighting the good fight. Let's do it. Let's give, let's serve, let's love, Let's humble ourselves. Let's give it all we got to do something that matters. Repent, believe, follow. What's he saying? Stay close to me and get back in the game. Stay close to me. And I want to just kind of give you guys a line from a poem. If you want the entire poem, I printed some copies of it. It's by the offering box in the back. You can grab one on the way out. But there's a guy, great name, by the way. Chad, this is a good name. There's a missionary about 100, 150 years ago. It's a great missionary name, by the way. I almost thought I'd change my name to this this week. C.T. Studd. That's a good name, right? A lot of people might call me like David Studd. I've heard that before, Chad. But C.T. Studd. <laughs> C.T. Studd, right? That's a good name. But about 100, 150 years ago, he was a missionary from England. And he spent the rest of his life in China and India and Africa. The Sudan, and he ended up dying in the Congo, right where Gabriel's at, which is cool, one of our missionaries. And uh, a rich guy, 
His dad was a wealthy attorney in England, left him a ton of money. And then he went to law school, graduated, become a, became a successful, wealthy attorney on his own. And he walked away from all of it to go serve Jesus in China, then India, then Africa. And he wrote all these cool things. And there was this poem that he wrote, and it just kind of came to my mind this week. And so I looked it up, and I printed some copies for you guys. And then I texted Kenny because I came across like all these quotes from the same guy, quotes I had never heard from him before. And they were awesome. They were like super cool, inspiring to me. But he writes this poem, and the line he keeps re repeating over and over and over in the poem is, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it's just like this guy of 100, 150 years ago had this understanding of like, all that matters is that I'm all in with Jesus. That's it. None of the other stuff means anything. I sent a text to Kenny this week. One of the things the guy also said was uh, something like, uh, he said, uh, when I die, I hope that all of hell throws a party to celebrate the fact that I'm out of the fight. And I was like, man, I want to live like that, you know? I want to live that way. And so I just want to ask you guys to end today these same four questions. Will you let shame keep you on the sideline? Or will you get back in the game? Question number two, have you been following Jesus at a distance? Will you get back up close? Question number three, will you change what you hear when the rooster crows and know how loved and forgiven you are? Will it be a reminder of God's goodness? And question number four, are you ready today to live for Jesus? I know you might feel like a mess, but that's Jesus' specialty. He transforms messes into successes. And you can be the next success story for him. You don't have to pay any penance. You don't have to do anything to get back in his good graces. And you don't have to sit on the shelf waiting for the right time. You can get in the fight right now. Just turn back to him, believe what he says, and follow him with all you got. Not one foot in, one foot out. Can I pray for you? God, so often in our church, I feel compelled to pray for our group to have courage to pray for our group to have the courage it'll take to act on your word, to not just hear it. But today, God, I've been struck this week with the thought, we don't actually need any more courage than we have. I have a lot of courage to do the wrong things. I have a lot of courage to do things that I love in my life already. What I lack is not the courage. What I lack is the closeness. And so, God, what I pray today is that you would just beat on each of our hearts until we cave in until we come to our senses, until we finally wake up, until we come back to you and repent of the way we've been, until we get up close to you each day and just follow you with all we got, until we live like this is gonna be our last day and you're all that matters. Would you just pound our hearts with your spirit and convince us to leverage everything we have today for your glory? And if we do, God, we will blow our budget out of the water we will see soul after soul decide to cross from death to life. We will see our building filled up and our new building built. We will see kids stay off drugs and marriages rescued and saved. We will see our anger subside and our peace increase, God. All we need is more connection, more closeness with you. And so God, would you just bombard us today with your Holy Spirit to convince each of us in the room to give you all we got, not just to die for you, but to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.